Happy Mother's Day to all who fall within the definition of being a mother. And I should tell you, my definition of motherhood is very broad, not just biological mothers. It's all those who have taken it upon themselves to be a mother figure to someone. All those who have been drafted by the circumstances of life to mother a baby that somebody else may have had biologically. I want to say Happy Mother's Day to all those co-workers <laughs> who treat you like their child on the job. Look out for you. Tell you to go sit down when you think you need to say something. All those folks. Happy Mother's Day. To all the mothers of the church who through their quiet Christian example have provided an unknown pattern of living for people who didn't have that in their own home. Whole lot of definitions of mothers. To all of you who are able to go and spend some time with your mama, don't let the day pass you by without some acknowledgement to that person. Those of you who can't visit with your mother, visit the memories. Tell somebody about how good mama was. Keep her alive that way. Bless each one of you who have joined us today, either physically or through a virtual platform. It's good to see you. Mother's Day is one of those um, holidays that most folk would be ashamed to say they forgot. You'll forget a birthday before you forget Mama's Day. And that's because of the place that mothers hold within our hearts. One would ask, why is Mother's Day so special? Well, I think it's special because God has laid his hand all over it. God has designed motherhood to be a ministry to each one of us. And some people have been involved in this ministry and probably are not aware of it. I came to tell you today that it's probably the most significant ministry you've had in your life, whether you acknowledge it or not. And that's from the perspective of the mother and the child. And so the message today comes from, I think, perhaps one of the most overlooked mothers in Scripture, but one whose courage, ingenuity, probably helped to do more than a very famous son, comes from Exodus chapter 2. We'll find the story of a woman there who laid the foundation by her actions for the saving, for the creation, and in the saving of a nation. Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, if you'll allow me to read it in your hearing. I'm sure it'll be displayed as I'm reading it. 
It starts now, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it, put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile. She went to bathe. And her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Thus ends the reading of the word of God. There are a whole lot of truths about life, truths about life that we learn in childhood. In fact, I dare say many of the things that you hold dear, you probably learned when you were much, much, much younger in life. Many of these lessons are taught to us by, by our mothers. If I were to ask you to give me a list of all your favorite teachers, all your favorite teachers growing up, I'm sure you wouldn't have any trouble naming Ms. Howard, Ms. Howard or Ms. Kelsey. I'm sure I could throw a whole long list of them out at you who were Mr. Uh, not just women, but uh, Mr. Green. I can name a whole lot of them, Coach Patrick, that were pivotal in my life. They just jumped in your head because of the time you spent with them and the meaning they had in your life. But I wonder how many of us in our list of teachers that we make include our mothers as our primary teacher in life. Because for most of us, it was mama who gave you the very basics and foundations of who you are today. A large percentage of us, if we were fortunate, were taught by mother. And I want to use that broad definition of motherhood that I, that I gave you earlier. Because even if it wasn't your biological mother, it was a person who stood in that stead and taught you the things you need, needed to know. So when we start looking at the account as given by Moses in the Exodus, Moses wrote it. Moses wrote this account in the Exodus. It kind of gets obscure as to who Moses would be looking at as his mother figure. But his mother, a Jacobed was her name. 
Jacob in. His mother was about as creative as any woman could ever be. Let me see if I can fill in some holes in this story for those of you who are not familiar with it. I think we sometimes assume that people know these old Bible narratives that uh, we talk about so often. We always talk about Moses in the basket, but we don't really talk about how Moses got in the basket and who would and why was Moses in the basket in the first place? Uh, uh, Jacob is not as well known as her son, but I dare say, but for her ingenuity, you wouldn't have heard of Moses. You wouldn't have heard of him. Why? Because there was a maniacal fool who was the Pharaoh at that time. And he was so afraid of the millions of Hebrew people that had grown in that land that he decided he was going to do, what word do I want to use? It's really infanticide, all right, a culling. He was going to weed out the Hebrew boys who might rise up and kill uh, his soldiers. And so he put out an edict, a directive, an order that all the young Hebrew boys were to be killed. Can you imagine? Let, let, let's get out the Bible and let's just get real. You got a baby. And all of a sudden, here comes a mandate that your baby has to be gotten rid of. Not because they've done anything wrong, but simply because they are. Can you imagine the fear that would strike you? What would go through your mind in terms of trying to take care of your child? And imagine this is a whole community of folk. Everybody's trying to come up. You don't know who to trust. Yeah, you don't know who to trust. You don't know who's trying to curry favor in Pharaoh's court. You don't know what the spies are. If you do something, somebody's going to go and tell uh, you might even be afraid of your own family members because, you know, y'all know, like I know, you can't always trust your cousin. They might want to get to come up by telling on you. And here comes, here comes Jacob. She finds herself. That's why the scripture starts this way. Moses writes his own narrative. here. He said, uh, a man of the tribe of Levi squarely puts himself, his, his dad, his dad's historic background is through the line of the chosen people of, of, uh, of Israel. He puts it there. He doesn't call himself a son of the woman who raised him in Pharaoh's court. He calls himself a son who comes out of the tribe of Levi. In other words, I want you to know this is my heritage. He used, uh, what is that, 23andMe real early to identify. Ancestry.com came on and said, I don't come from uh, Bithia, who was Pharaoh's daughter, I come from Jacobed. Jacobed was a scared woman who already had an older child, at least one that we know of. And, and there, was, there was another we know because we know that Moses had an older brother named Aaron. We know that. So this is a later child she found herself with and the edict comes out, the order comes out that he is not to live. How do you hide a baby? How do you hide a baby? How do you keep a baby quiet? How do you keep a baby quiet in church? How do you keep a baby quiet in, in your community? 
when 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 you you tell the baby and they think it's a game if the baby's not sleeping then the baby's going to be babbling or moving and and there's no instruction or direction you can give and for about three months she hid this baby three months she hid him as best she could she kept him out of folks uh uh out of folks eyesight and hearing range but imagine this now in those three months primarily she had to be hidden too so at some point at some point her husband was going to be asked a question where's jacob what's going on with her and of course the other women in the community knew she had been with child someone had to help her deliver this baby somebody had to and and the children you know you pray that children don't go and tell uh, a home business but you're not always certain that they won't go out trying to curry favor with their friends and say something you know my mama i'm so tired of my mama you know she's sitting there with her feet whoa i can't understand i want me to come in there and cook and wash all day long i mean children will say things not even knowing that they have said something that's harmful but jacob wants to save this baby and i want you to look at a verse in the scripture that's important in verse two she said, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son when she saw that he was a fine child. A fine child. She hid him for three months. That's the first point I want to show you today. In this message, I want you to understand that one of the first jobs a mother has is to identify their child's potential. Who spends more time with the child, typically, than a mother? Early on, you can tell what abilities your baby seems to have. You know, well, he started babbling real early. You know, and, and he started reaching for things real early. This is this baby has the ability. I could form words and say it to him. And real early, he started saying it back to me. Now people would come in and I say, watch this, watch this. And the baby wouldn't do it then. But 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 when we alone, <laughs> when we alone, he would do it all the time. And you know what your baby's potential is. You understand and if you should, you if you don't, you should. You ought to be able to tell somebody, well, my baby will do this. And most good daddies, most daddies do the same thing. I know he, 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 he got a good appetite. That's what we say. He got a good appetite. He eat a lot. But it's a mother's job to identify the potential of the baby. Do you imagine for one second that, that Jacob could have identified the full potential of Moses? What he would do in terms of his adult life. There's no way she could know what God had in store for him, but she knew that he was a fine baby and worthy of being taken care of, if for no other reason, and she had him. And so she devises a plan. She takes a basket, which won't float by itself. You take a basket and put it in water, it's going to sink, particularly if you put a baby in there with weight. But she puts tar and pitch, which allows it to float. And she has to have the perfect timing to put the baby in the basket and let the basket 
float down a lane in the river where she knows Pharaoh's daughter comes to bathe every day. Every day with her attendants. What a, what a, what a smart plan, but oh so dangerous. So many things can happen. There's no way you can get everybody off the river. There's no way you can stop other people from coming to the river while the baby's in the basket. Who is not going to be curious about a basket floating down the river? Any of the fishermen out there or other children or other people would have had some curiosity. And so she's smart enough to tell her daughter, Miriam, to follow along hidden in the grass to make sure that the baby and the basket float successfully. Well, let, let me ask you this. How do you do that? How do you take your baby and put them in a basket and let them float away from you? How? What, what courage does it take? How much courage did it take the first time you dropped them off at school and left them there and walked away from them? How hard was that? to leave them in the care of people you may have known and even trusted. That was so difficult to turn away. And I know if the teachers started telling stories of how much crime was done that day, most of the crime was done by the parents and not the children. I know now they do like an orientation time so you can bring the baby in and they see the toys. And so on the first day they come running in and they don't even think about the parents anymore. That doesn't stop the parent from going to the car and crying like a baby. It's simply hard to take someone you love that much and, and look, look, this is what's happening. Release control. You completely release control. Can I make it even more plain? Not just the first day taking them to daycare. Not just the first day taking them to kindergarten. Not just the first day dropping them off in high school. Not just the first day when you take them to college and they're standing at the dorm smiling with their new friend saying, please go, please go, please go. That's what the kid's saying. Hurry up. I'm all right. Yeah, room is straight. Not just that first day. Yeah, that's a hard day, too, when they want you to just get gone. You just spend all your money at Walmart and... They got stuff that they never go use because you, you figure they might run out of something. Yeah, and they never ate that potted meat and them vina sausages, just so you know. But they, that's still hard at every step of the way. You walk them down the aisle and you release control. That's, it's hard. But I can't imagine none of that compares to putting your baby on the wall. Because guess what? There's stuff that lives in the water. <laughs> yeah, that's stuff that lives in the water that you can't control. And so Miriam watches. What's a child going to do if something happens? And she notices that the basket floats into Pharaoh's daughter's inner court. And Pharaoh's daughter notices an oddity in the water and sends one of her slaves to get it. And they open it. And let me tell you the miracle that happened then. This woman knows who her daddy is. 
This, this woman knows what her daddy is about. This woman knows that her dad is having Hebrew babies killed all over the community. She's not oblivious to that. She's not oblivious to the fact that her daddy is crazy. Which means that the decision that she makes is dangerous for her because in essence, she's defying her daddy who is, according to the Egyptian, seen as a god. But she tells her slaves who take their own lives in their hands because while daddy might not have done anything to his daughter, he would have gotten rid of those slaves instantly for being a part of it. So everybody in this circle right now is petrified. Why? Because a baby floats into the inner court. And she tells them, Ms. Bailey, to get the baby. And then this is what a miracle comes. And God let her have compassion on that baby you can tell me a lot about somebody but i'm struggling with people who don't like babies i'm struggling with people who mistreat children i don't care the circumstances i'm gonna be a real real suspect of you if you're not taking care of a child or you're mistreating a child you can't get that high that drunk or that mad or whatever you ain't supposed to be hurting no babies and in this instance she had compassion on this baby. And so look at that. Jacob Bed saw the potential of her baby. She saw that this baby was special, special enough for me to take my life, my daughter's life, my family's life into our hands so we can save him. I'm not willingly turning my baby over to these Egyptians so they can harm him. I'm going to turn my baby over to these Egyptians so they can save him. How ironic is that? Think about that. That the baby who would come and save his people must first be saved by the people he's saving them from. Think about that. Have the irony that only God, the baby who's going to come and lead his people to safety must first be saved by the people he's leaving, leading them from. God has to be in the mix. And all of this from beginning until end. And so Bithia gets the baby, takes him, and Miriam, the little sister, is smart too. She immediately knows that any baby going to a woman who did not have him is going to need to be nursed. And guess what? She knows a woman who just had a baby who's able to come and nurse the baby, and it just happens to be her mama. And so she says to Pharaoh, taking her life in her hand, she runs into the inner court when I'm sure the guards challenged her from coming in like that because they didn't know what she was going to do. And she said, shall I find a nursemaid for this baby? And Pharaoh's daughter, who had compassion on the baby, knew what she lacked at that point. And so she said, yes, do as you said. And so Miriam went and got her mama. Watch this now. I don't know what kind of party you've ever had before. But when Jacob sees her daughter come running back into the house saying, Mama, Pharaoh's daughter has, has the baby. His name wasn't Moses then. Has the baby. And she wants a nursemaid. Come. And her mother goes running into Pharaoh's court. She couldn't do this before. 
But she goes running into Pharaoh's court and presents herself as the nursemaid. And Pharaoh's daughter, y'all don't know how God works because he's still working like this. Pharaoh's daughter tells her, I will pay you to nurse your baby. Of course, she doesn't know that that's her baby. She said, in fact, let's do it like this because you know you can't stay in the palace with me. I'm going to give you the baby. You take the baby and raise the baby. Somebody ought to shout. Somebody ought to shout. You take the baby and raise the baby and bring him back to me when he is weaned. In this instance, Pharaoh, didn't, I mean, Moses didn't come back to Pharaoh's court until he was seven years old. He stayed on. He stayed a long time without getting weaned. Didn't he? That's another story now. That's a whole nother story. Yeah, 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 yeah. He had a whole full set of teeth. <laughs> ah. But they say, I've heard, I've, I've read this many, many times, Carl, that everything I ever really needed to learn, I learned in kindergarten. All right, which means that by the time, Ms. Johnson, Moses was old enough he had already had all the formative information in him. He knew his people. He knew his people's ways. He understood, hello, the value of early childhood education is right there in the scripture. And that's not just secular education. That's good home training. And when he was seven, he went to the palace and was given the same education every other pharaoh was given. He was given the same chances that Ramses, who was the older uh, child of Bithya, the, 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 the pharaoh's daughter, the same training, the same military tactics. Moses got every bit of that, well, with a difference. He got every bit of that training, but he knew that he came from a different people. Why are you telling me like this, Reverend Spaulding? Because if it had not been for his mom taking the chance, and it's interesting, it, they don't say the daddy. They identify the mama as being the cause of it. Jacob was the reason that Moses became the man he was. And that's why at a certain point when he was about 40 years old, things changed in his life. But that's another story. So the first thing, mamas, you got to do, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, guess what? When he's older, that, that's not to say he won't go through something, but when he's older, he will not depart from what you've taught him. Train him up that way. Jacob Ed identifies his potential and uses that potential to his advantage, and it ends up blessing the entire household. There's a story of a man few hundred years ago in London who was walking down the street and he saw a, a homeless person. The homeless person stopped him. The homeless person caught his attention because he was playing a violin. Strange sight, playing a violin. But the quality of the music coming out of the violin but more was so exquisite that the man had to walk to him and ask him, you know, can I see the violin? Man gave it to him. He said, would you like to sell it? 
Well, the homeless man had nothing but the violin. And so he sold him the violin for $5, basically $5, something to eat, basically. But what a great deal for the man who bought the violin. He went to his shop and he looked inside the violin closer and there inside he saw what he thought he would find or might find and that is Stradivari written in the violin which told him it was made by the master violin maker of the day. He knew that this was a lost violin that they had been searching for for a long time and it wasn't long um, before he understood what a grave mistake that this homeless man had made. And so he went out trying to find the homeless man because he was a decent person. I'm not trying to take this from you for a food. Couldn't find the man. So he kept it. Wasn't long before the $5 that he paid for the violin, he sold it a short time later for $5,000. That same violin later on, a few years later, sold for $100,000. This is the same violin, all because the violin had been made and had the autograph of the master engraved inside. Can I tell you this? Every one of these babies in here has the autograph of the master on the inside of them. Every one of them. Every one of them. Even though you might not understand their value. All right, that does not mean they're not valuable. And it simply takes them being in the right hand in order to bring out the value that God has put into them. Too many children have the misfortune, it's going to sound ugly, of being born to the wrong folk. The folk who cannot bring out their worth, to people who are not in a place to help bring out the absolute superstar that's in that baby. You give them the right environment. I've looked so many times, I've shed tears for young folk who are absolutely dynamic and nobody noticed it. Who are absolutely superstars. They, 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 may, not even, they may not even use the king's English well, but they could probably be English teachers. If somebody told them, the right way. They, they, they have taken the little bit of lemons in life that they've had. And even in the place they find themselves, they've made lemonade out of it. And you know that this person with just the right, right tutelage could be so dynamic. I've seen young women who do not know their worth. They'll sell themselves to someone for a dime never realizing they were worth a thousand. And that's because of the environment they're in. But it takes a good mama. So listen to mamas. Even if you don't want to hear what they got to say. It takes a good mama to identify the potential and help bring that out. So Jacob had identified the potential and she protected Moses. She protected him all along that riverbank. Not only did she protect him all along the riverbank, she protected him by sending the sister down. Not only did she protect him by sending the sister, she gave the sister enough basic sense to go in there and say, this is what you need. You need a nursemaid. She kept protecting not just Moses, but her child, her older child. And then when she brought him into her house, she protected him every day. Guess what? After she brought the baby back into her house, she didn't have to hide him no more. 
No, no, she was the only Hebrew baby in the community that could walk. She could walk around doing whatever she wanted to. Why? Because that baby had the protection of Pharaoh's court on it. If anybody dared to hurt Moses, they would have to answer to Pharaoh themselves. And so here she is, just a span of a few minutes, when he goes from being just Jacob's baby to being Pharaoh's grandchild. And it makes all the difference in the world to him and later would mean all the difference in the world to the children of Israel. Guess what? She protected him that way. We ought to protect our children today. We, we leave them to their own devices too much. We, we let them make decisions that they are not mature enough to make. We, we think for some reason because they reach a certain age and can talk, that talk matters. It does matter for us to listen to them because they have a voice. But just because you have a voice don't mean you get the last word. And parents have to set themselves in position to be able to make those choices for their children. I've said this time and time again from this pulpit that at the time that we think we're releasing children to make good choices, it's really the most dangerous time in their lives. And that's in their teenage years. That's the high school transition, the college. They think they're grown. But it's the time in life that their church, their choices have the most consequences. They can absolutely alter their lives forever in that time frame. Up until that point, they, we give them a little bumper room to make some choices. But when they get off by themselves, when they have nothing but unfettered freedom and unfettered decision making, and they have other people who do not have the same values that they have, and some people who absolutely mean bad for them, that's the most dangerous time for them. And if you have not bestowed in them the right thinking, then you may just have a problem because contrary to what they say on TV and what they show on TV, it's not going to be a stranger that's going to bring the mess to them. It's going to always be somebody in, in a circle. That's how they get it in. Ain't nobody lurking around in no, in no trench coat with glasses on. No, that's going to be Pookie. Pookie going to come up to you and Skillet going to say, look what I found. Don't you want to try this? Yeah, I bet I couldn't find uh, anybody in here who's first smoke of weed was from a stranger. No, it was somebody you knew and trusted who said, try this. Your first drink, sip of beer, probably came from a relative. You know that cool uncle or aunt cool? Uncle or aunt, you know, it's always one of them. Yeah, that, that prides themselves on being non-traditional. Oh, yeah, I put beer in your bottle. Don't worry about it. It's cool. I ain't thinking about your mama. <laughs> Teach them. You got to continue to protect them. If you're not active in their social media, you're wrong. I ain't telling you to stop them on social media. I'm telling you, you ought to at least be stalking them or something. You know, they ain't got to know. Call yourself, you know, Colombo or something. Open your own account, whatever. But you need to know what's going on. Why? Yeah, just because your baby isn't one. Maybe she sits next to somebody in class 
who's having an online relationship with some old dude in Ohio that she ain't never met before, who's telling her she the best thing, she the best thing in the world. And all she needs to do is get to the bus station and he'll be there to pick her up. And guess what? They do it. They, they do it. Why? Because I'm tired of being at home. Because problem, because I, I, I got to make up my bed. I got to do all these things you tell me to do. This happens every day. Every day. Or just because somebody's paying attention to them. And your life has been so busy, you haven't been able to pay attention to them like that. If you haven't noticed, mental health issues are real in that age. Pay attention to them. Protect them in that space. And that's what she did. She provided protection for Moses. And the last thing she did, she provided physically resources for them. What I love about this story, and then I'm out of here, is that while they were poor, she gave him all of herself. And what I'm telling you is, that's what your children require. They don't require things as much as we work toward that. Because in the end, things are bring emptiness. Because you can't keep getting just stuff. Y'all know that. You, you remember when you were younger and you thought, that all you want to be able to do when you get older is get what you want to get. And then when you get older, there's not much you want to get anymore. It's just, you get, you know, I got a car, I got somewhere to live, I got a TV, got some clothes. That's about it. I mean, it's, I don't know what else I need to get. I don't need to keep this buying clothes. Uh, I mean, because you see that that doesn't bring any return. They're taking trips now in high school that we took when we were married 30 years. But the question I have is what you're going to do when you're 40. Where are you going to go that you haven't gone? What's going to bring the thrill in your life? Because you keep trying to do more and more thrill-seeking things, bigger, better. And I can tell you, um, this thing that they have, please don't listen to this. Protect them from this gap year thing. Please, everybody got to take a gap year. For what? For what? All right, because somebody got to pay for the gap year. Who going to pay for it? <laughs> a gap year becomes a fifth year not working. A sixth year, depending on how long it takes you to get out of school. But that is a thing now, parents. This gap year, I've seen, I hear from everybody, what you going to do? You going to get a job? You going go to gonna go back to school and get another degree? No, I think I'm going to take a gap year. A gap. Is that like another way of spelling job? <laughs> Is that a degree <laughs> or something? Oh, you're going to get a gap degree. <laughs> I don't know because I'm trying to figure out. My gap degree was I do. <laughs> I do, I will. That's, that's a struggle. Let me tell you why. Because it's, the problem is when you get to that age, you realize that responsibility is running up to you real fast. And all you're doing is pushing responsibility back another year when you do the gap year. And what I'm telling you is responsibility, they're going to still be standing there with a hand on the hips at the end of that gap year. Get into it. I, I realize it's a fad, but what I'm telling you is Protect your children in that space. They don't have to do that because everybody else is doing it. It becomes hard. Provide for your children. 
Provide everything you can for them, but most importantly, give them yourself. Give them as much of you as they can have. Why is that important? Because in the end, it's the only thing that matters. When I look back over all the things that I spent money and time on, I don't regret not buying stuff. I don't regret not buying that Grand Cherokee I said I was going to buy 20 years ago. Never did. I don't regret that. But I do regret not being able to spend more time with my mom. I do. The time that I could have spent. I also regret that I didn't appreciate a lot of the time when I was around. I took for granted. Most of the time when I went to my mama's house, I was just there. I was in her presence, but I was just there. You know, I didn't, I didn't make quality use of that time. And now I wish I could just have some of that time back just to sit down and have a conversation. Now, that's not her fault. She was there regardless of what I was doing. Uh, now we spend more time doing this when we're together. I'm telling you, provide for your children by making them understand the most important things in life. I love this about the relationships and how layered they are. It was necessary that Moses would have a good relationship with Miriam because Miriam had also done exactly what her mother had done. Yeah, she had learned how to take care of her younger brother. She knew how to look out for him and provide for him. No doubt she too had entry into Pharaoh's daughter's court after that since she was the emissary. And that's how it ought to be between siblings. Siblings ought to learn how to look out for one another. And we learn that from home. And mamas teach that. Mamas teach that. See, I don't care who you get into it with out there in the street. You better get along with your siblings and you better look out for each other. Still to this day, those of you who have siblings, you don't have to physically do it, but you ought to be holding your siblings' hand when they cross the street. All right? You ought to be looking out for them and loving them and making sure everything is okay with them. And in those areas that they fall short and need protecting, you need to be watching them as they go down the river. And you need to make sure that they get to the places that they're supposed to. Because there's a whole lot of sisters who raised their younger siblings. They stand in the stead of mama. They did all the stuff. And I know this, I know this because of our own mother's relationship. My grandmama had nine children, nine who lived, well, she had 10, but one passed away as an infant. And I know how her younger siblings, they call, they, they look to my mama as a second mother figure. They all stayed in our house at some point. They all came to her when life's challenges seemed difficult. And she was simply their older sister. But look at the benefit to us from that, because we always had our uncles and aunts around who could, be, who could be like older brothers for me. We got benefits from that all because mama was willing to provide uh, for them. And watch this. Come in and stay with your old. Ain't nobody asking for no money. No rent. If we got room, go, go to sleep. If we got food, go eat. Now we monetize everything and we spoil relationships with dollars. And what I'm saying to you is provide as the Lord has provided for you. And everybody ends up coming out all right. I got a friend 
And I want to say this as I close today. Everybody always prays that they have a child who's doing well and who's perfect. My closest friend growing up, mother, had the heart to foster parent children with special needs. It was such a vivid lesson for us growing up because we always think, you're going to be a foster parent then why would you add the double problem of the child having special needs? But guess what? Those children need somebody to love them too. And it's even especially true for them because nobody's standing in line to pick or choose a child with special needs. But anyway, one of the children that she fostered is a young man named Johnny. Johnny um, is about my age now. He's alive now. My friend's mama has gone to glory. But because mama taught her child how to take care of himself and how to take care of his foster brother who had special needs, when mama passed away, his mama passed away, it was a no-brainer that Johnny would continue living with him. And so with his wife, who understood what she was getting into, and his children, they understood that Uncle Johnny is our older brother. Johnny, I said I was growing up, he was my best friend growing up. Johnny says I'm his best friend too. But you think you don't, you don't get anything out of those relationships. You, you, you think that the relationship only goes toward Johnny. Can I tell you the lessons? Because somebody loved a child with special needs, because a woman, Agnes person, loved a child with special needs. Can I tell you, we've derived so much from Johnny. Johnny's life is simple. He wants about the same thing to eat every day. How many of us get into arguments in the evening trying to figure out what we gonna have for dinner? Where we going? What we gonna eat? We ate that yesterday. I'm tired of eating chicken. All you want is chicken. If you just give, if you just give Johnny a hot dog, he good. In fact, the argument comes when you stop trying to give him a hot dog, when you're trying to yeah, he got to an age like the rest of us where you got to vary his diet and put some stuff in it that's going to help him. But all he wants is a hot dog. He wants to watch not Netflix, not Prime, Channel 6. That's what he wants to watch. He don't even care that it's Fox. I mean, it's just Channel, Channel 6. Well, why? Because none of that bothers him. Because his life is simple. But every time I call over there, he asks how I'm doing. He asks how Pooh is doing. He has that kind of memory where he loves folk. Every child, mama, doesn't have to be perfect by the world standard in order for you to know that they're perfect. You take your children as they come and they will derive the pleasure that comes from a relationship with you. The blessing for Johnny is that when the Lord called him this person's home, Ricky was there. And so for Johnny, there was no transition. He didn't lose as much as you would have thought because his brother was still there with him. Can I tell you, there's a ministry that comes from motherhood. And it's so varied and so great. And I'm so thankful today that I've seen so many versions of it. I want to thank each one of you for the role you played in somebody's life. You never could have understood how special that child was. But you knew God had given you something special. Some of your minds have been blown. 
by what your children have been able to accomplish. And not just your children, but your grandchildren on top of that. Can you imagine Mary? Could she have known that Jesus would have done the things he'd done? This young teenage girl who became impregnated in such an unusual way, who knew she had a special baby, but Mary couldn't know that the baby that she had would grow up and become our savior. Yet she did everything she could and she followed him and she protected him and she stayed with him from the cradle to the grave. Not only from the cradle to the grave did she stay with him, she was there when he was resurrected. And suddenly the baby who God gave her became her savior. But not just her savior, this same baby named Jesus is our savior too. I love the fact that one of the last things that Jesus did before he left here on that cross was made sure his mama was taken care of. That's how special mothers are. God bless you today. Do you know this Jesus? If you know this man named Jesus and you know he lived for you and died for you and you want to give your life to him so that he can be your savior, then I invite you now to accept the gift that he gave when he died on the cross. I, I invite you now to accept the gift of salvation that comes from Jesus Christ being your savior. He loves you. He loves you, whatever circumstance you find yourself in. And if you, like me, know that your mama is waiting in glory or she's not there yet and you want to be there forever with her, make sure, make sure that you've secured your own trip to heaven. And the only way we know you can do that is by being saved by Jesus Christ. So right now, if you've never given your life, the doors of our church are open. Whosoever will, that means you, if you've never done it, doors are open right now. Come on.